Welcome to Unsilent with your hosts, Dave and Brian. This is not another current events podcast. We're digging deeper, diagnosing, and discussing what's really going on today, how we got here, and providing observations for future generations. Welcome to Unsilent. We're Brian and Dave. We're hoping you'll let us know where you think we got it right and where we've totally missed the point which you can do by visiting unsilentpodcast.com. Now, let's get into today's topic. So what do you want to talk about today, Brian? Well, I think we should talk about uh, capitalism and free markets versus wealth distribution. But first, I want to throw a couple things at you um, and kind of give uh, people listening kind of an idea of what goes on behind the scenes here. So, Dave, <laughs> how would you explain to folks what our show prep process is like. Like, how much of this do we script out in advance, would you say? <laughs> it, well, if advance is like the first 15 or 20 seconds before the show, then <laughs> that's that's pretty much what the show prep is looking like. So, uh, yeah. like, today it was, what do you want to talk? So, you know, I asked the question at the beginning of our, if, uh, at the beginning of each cast, what do you want to talk about? We've had maybe uh, half a minute to think about that beforehand. Yeah. So. So my, my point with that is I don't want anyone listening to think that we've like got these these well scripted out. That's not how this works. We might have a couple of notes. You and I have taken turns, of course, jotting notes. Yep. And sometimes people will see us Googling something as we're trying to find something, uh, which sometimes I do fast enough and sometimes I don't. I missed Twisted Sister the other week, uh, a couple of episodes <laughs> ago, and I oh, said the you. wrong answer. Yeah. So, um, but point is, um, these are not scripted. We don't have talking points well mapped out. And that's important to, for people to know that they are spontaneous. I imagine at some point one of us or both of us is going to say something pretty dumb that we're going to regret. But that's because we're thinking off the top of our heads. And um, I think it's important for folks to know that. Uh, right. Next thing I want, I want this just kind of occurred to me in the spirit of before we get to our topic, in the spirit yeah. of this being completely spontaneous. I was thinking today as I was listening to people um, dodging questions. And in this era, uh, again, speaking to Kenny G, our guy who's a 45-year-old dude in the year 2080 or 2090 or whatever, explaining what this moment feels like. When I was a kid, there was always a certain amount of, and even a you know, young adult, 20s, 30s, um, there was always a certain amount of politicians dodging questions. You would ask a question, right. and they would answer a different question that was not asked. They would not answer the question. And it occurred to me today as that as that tendency, but but back then they would still also answer direct questions. Like they would give like legit sure. straight up and they might even say yes or no to a question. Yeah. That was a yes or no yeah. question. And as that has diminished, it kind of occurred to me today. I feel like that how I decide who I trust depends on how they are, how much they're or how often they are willing and able to answer yes or no questions. What do you think about that? Do you think that's kind of spot on? Or do you think that is too, no, I think too that, harsh? No, that's exactly that's exactly spot on. And I think of that all the time. In fact, oftentimes I won't listen to interview shows anymore because I know that if the, if a good question is asked by the interviewer and the interviewee is disinterested in that question or it doesn't go their way, they're not going to answer it anyway. And so it's, it's right. just, it's almost pointless, uh, in, in some of these cases to do that. Everybody has got, everybody has been media trained and has been so yeah. well, uh, conditioned. So that if you ask me a question I don't want to answer, I'm just going to answer with whatever the thing is I really want to say anyway. So yeah, I totally I'll just agree. Use as a segue to my talking point that I had prepared with my PR department before I got here. 
<laughs> exactly right. It's been tested. It's been it's been group tested, and yeah. the the full thing is is vetted, and even the words and the order I choose them in has been completely vetted, except for some politicians that are spontaneous and say silly things. But that's another topic altogether. Right, and of course, you know, taking this you know this this thought experiment that I just again popped in my head earlier today. And I made a note for today for us to talk about briefly before we get to our other topic. But of course, it would paint you into a corner in situations like last week we talked about, you know, navigating the abortion debate and, and something right. like that. If somebody says, do you so support abortion? And you say no or yes, either one. We're right. leaving out tons of nuance, tons of Absolutely. yeah, but situations that are very valid and things like that. Sure. And so I'm not suggesting that this should be 100 percent. I'm not even suggesting it should be 50 percent. Yeah. But if it's if somebody is doing it zero or five or ten percent, I'm going to trust them less than people who can do it twenty, thirty, or forty percent or sixty or seventy, obviously. But Absolutely. my point is I'm not saying it's gotta be an absolute like should always do this. That's not that's not reasonable. I get right. that. Does, does that does that does that pass the sniff test though? Am I it, or am I being too harsh on these people? No, I think it does. Well, I I think that in terms of of how people respond and how how interviewees respond. I think people would respect them more if they owned up to some of their less popular opinions or less less tested opinions. Uh, you know, if if there if there's a if there's a difficult question, you say, "Well, here's the way that I see this. I realize not everybody agrees with this, but this is still uh, I here are my valid reasons for for thinking of the things this way." I think people re- respect them more, even the people that disagree with them, because at least you're getting an honest answer at that in that case. And and again, yeah, I don't think you have to answer every question with with brutal, you know, uh, uh, here's my Paul, you know, I don't think you have right. to go that far, but at least, at least give me 30%, you know, at least give me 40% yeah, of that, what you really I'm, think. I'm specifically thinking of times where people are asked yes or no questions where the, yeah. the, the, and they just are reluctant to, and again, I'm, I'm granting that many times it would be political suicide right. or even conversational suicide to, to allow that to, I am granting that. Right. So I'm I'm okay with the idea that they can only do this 30 or 40% of the time or 20% sure. of the time. But there are people who are doing it 0 to 5% of the time. And I think this might be Dave where you and I have our first disagreement because you sound okay. way more optimistic than me about people appreciating that honesty. I think in this world where things are super tribal and sure. edit, video clips are edited down to to make the narrative either for or again make the best or worst case with the, sure. the four second clip or 12 second clip versus the minute and 38 second clip. I think people, I think the reason we have much of the reason we have these crappy politicians and policymakers and people in place is because we are fundamentally lazy in how we approach steering our ship of our country. Well, sure. That's true. I, I think that's true. But I think again, you've got to look at and say, in terms of the the overall populace and kind of the 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 far ends of each of the spectrums, the far ends of the spectrums are looking for nothing but gotcha questions and gotcha answers. Right. But I think there is a a middle section, and maybe that's twenty percent, maybe that's thirty percent, that would say, "Well, you know, uh, I, I'm I'm not sure about this question, and and I appreciate the this nuanced answer about this. Uh, maybe maybe a yes, and, and it has to be to an honest question." too, because right. the, an, an honest answer can only be 
to an honest question. It's kind of like that that old thing. Well, have you stopped beating your wife yet? Well, that's right. yes, it's a yes or no question, but it's not an honest yeah. yes or no question. Right. So I think, but I do think I would I would venture a guess, and I don't think we're going to get a chance to test my theory, but I would venture a guess that if somebody came along who said, "Look, here's my position. Uh, here's I'm going to own this position. I realize some people disagree, and I'm okay with that." I would guess that there's going to be a significant portion of the population, maybe it's not a majority, but a significant portion of the population that would just say, finally, an honest answer. Even if I disagree with them, it's at least an honest answer. I think that would happen. Yeah. Well, I hope you're right. And and uh, for those listening in the future, a key thing that I have noticed now in hindsight that I did not notice as it was happening was the percentage of time people answer yes or no questions is is dramatically declining and in my opinion, that's a signal that we can trust them less because uh, for obvious reasons. Anyhow, exactly I derailed right. the conversation long enough. Let's talk about How capitalism and free markets versus <laughs> wealth distribution, which seems to be one of the fundamental things, not just uh, in our country, but globally. Right. That we're kind of at a crossroads here. It kind of feels like that this is one of the major talking points or arguing points, I guess. And I think if you ask somebody in 1980 and 2020, uh, what capitalism is, you would get different answers. If you ask somebody in 1910, yes. you would have different answers than those. It feels to me like we've kind of been on this um, path where re free markets and capitalism has been eroded already. And now we're kind of at a point where it's like uh, we're at a, a crossroads. Is that, does that feel like an accurate description to you, Dave? Yeah, I think it is. And I think it's a, um, I think it's a symptom of the broader, um, sort of societal dysfunction that we've talked about this in, in other episodes where we've talked about how people view uh, uh, unfairnesses and inequities in society as being just the core evil of society. And if you talk about, and, and for the record, I don't like the word capitalism because yeah. it's, it's, it, it, it talks about capital as opposed to initiative free markets. And, and that, that's the, the word I now. Capitalism is a fine word because it's what everybody – it's a shorthand for, for free markets and for free economic exchange, but I don't like it. So that yeah, being understand. said, I think the basis of it, I think the basis of the problem is that people view uh, you've got more than I do and you're no better a person than I am. So therefore, that's unfair. So therefore, that entire system that allows that to happen – allows that inequity to happen as opposed to inequality. Inequality is a, is one thing. Inequity is another thing, yeah. uh, is at, at fault. And we need to have the heavy hand of government, the heavy force of government to fix that and to make it fair. I think that's really at the core of the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, the, the free market system that, you know, again, what it started out as what versus what we had now, like social security was not a thing and I'm not anti social right. security, but, that's an example where we have these kind of, we have this quote unquote capitalism with socialistic features. Yes. <laughs> right? yeah, yeah. Where, where we have these kind of uh, things put in place, which again, I'm not against, to be clear. I, I think there's value in having some of those things. I also think that those kinds of systems are absolutely abused and corrupted yes. and bastardized and, and become completely. And I think that's what you and I are seeing in many, many cases now across the board is this deterioration of institutions because of this, right. this eroding away at the spirit of what they were intended to be. And we try to do right. these things that make it better for everyone. 
but we kind of end up with a with a product that doesn't do either very well. It doesn't it doesn't serve the collective or the individual buyer in the you know in my in my idea like free market is more focused on the the provider serving the needs of the individual buying yes. versus wealth distribution serves the needs of the collective at the expense of the individual buying and that may be kind of a too simplistic of a way to look at it but it's it's a, it's a balancing act to my point you can't have all one or all the other obviously it's a, it's right. a balancing act right well and even on 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 any philosophy you're going to have the extremes of that philosophy that are are dysfunctional so on right. if you just take the philosophy of freedom the if you say you're free to do absolutely everything and anything you want to do you have anarchy yeah. anarchy is generally thought of as not a good thing on, on the yeah. flip side it's kind of a bad thing so yeah. so a certain amount of of regulation a certain amount of restriction is okay but if you take that then to the extreme and say well that government needs to set rents and needs to set the prices for everything and needs to to determine every transaction that you and I make as individuals that then uh, limits human creativity human productivity so so the the value the the most effective place is found Maybe not in the exact middle of those two philosophies, but is found yeah. in in a well regulated, uh, a, a a lightly regulated, I would say, um, free market system that allows me to do as much or as little as I want to and receive the rewards of doing as much or as little as I want to, as long as I don't hurt somebody else in the process. That's kind yeah. of where the the free market ultimately comes down. Yeah, and I think that it also it comes down to a balance of um quality versus um safety. Like Yes, yes. The more you regulate things, the lower the quality is going to be. Like there's just no right. getting around that. When you have rent control, the the quality of the apartments rented goes down. Right. Um when you don't have rent control, the the potential for abuse goes up. <laughs> so, yeah, well uh, and you you also have you also have to look at at the at the role of the regulator. In other words, the, the, the genius, and this is one of the things that I would say is the primary argument for a free market system in, in any place that you can, you can apply this. Uh, the genius of the free market system is that it's very, very responsive to changes in society. So in other words, something happens that changes the value of something, the free market then increases the value of that thing and people pay more for it because the value is increased. Whereas right. a, a system where, where prices are set, for instance, rents are set or, or other uh, commodity prices are set, you've got some body of, of committee that sets those prices and they are not going to be as in tune with the general populace. So the, the free market is more in tune with the needs of the people and with the abilities of the people and with the, the, just the state of society overall. And it's going to be able to respond much faster than any centralized regulator ever could. And that makes it a more nimble system and it makes it a more efficient system. The other thing yeah. that, you know, you and I in business, we've been in both and we're in both in business, you know, we hear about creative destruction, right? I mean, yeah. so this idea that when a, a service is no longer valuable, then it's it, a bummer for me if my service is the one that's no longer valuable right. anymore. Yeah, if you're the, the horse market, and buggy guy, Henry Ford is not the savior. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If, if, if I'm the, uh, the elevator operator and they don't need me to press the buttons anymore, yeah. then I'm kind of uh, 
you know, I'm kind of out of, out, of, out of business. But the, the benefit of that is that that creative destruction then allows for something better, something better for overall society. And hopefully those that are negatively affected by that adapt and, and grow as a part of that process. Not always. I mean, there's, uh, there, there's yeah. no such thing as a perfect, perfect system. But in, that's the, the beauty of that free market system. And that's what systems such as socialism or Marxism, et cetera, just cannot manage. They can't match that because the human intellect isn't sufficient and isn't fast enough. Maybe AI will be. I don't know. Maybe maybe for yeah. Kenny G in the future, he's got the whole thing wired because AI is just running his life. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. If, if I was going to give some advice to them on how to make it more likely that that would work, here, here's a couple of things I would tell them. So it seems to me that looking back through history, we have these, these magnificent, huge I don't mean magnificent necessarily in a positive way, but but kind of in a positive way. With these magnificent, huge events that happened in World War II, the Civil War, right. the Revolutionary War. And during those times, these new institutions are formed. And we have very clear understanding without really much discussion, it seems like. I haven't lived through that yet. I'm about yeah. to, I think. But not much discussion about what success looks like, what criteria we use to, to assess performance, how we will measure it, the, the criteria we will use to make um, alterations or corrections when things start going not, not so well. Right. We have this kind of by default, or it's just kind of imposed upon us where we all have this shared vision. And then over the course of years and decades that, that we drift, but there's not ever a confirmation of what success looks like um, oversight and like what criteria we'd use to make adjustments, how often we should look at things and, and what does, what does it tell, how would we know things are not working anymore? We, we don't have those conversations, so we drift. And at the same time, the citizens are, um, are, are, re are, are taking their hands off the steering wheel and re relying on the policymakers and lawmakers and politicians who have taken their hands off the wheel and are giving it to the bureaucrats. And the bureaucrats have all this power, and they do what's best for them. <laughs> Instead, right. And so if I was going to say to somebody, Kenny G, in the future, if you want to have a socialist society – these are things I think would be absolutely necessary to make that work, which we have not done historically. And I'm not a fan of socialism or communism, but it feels to me like one of the reasons that these historically these things have always led to a, a select few abusing it is because everyone would rather have comfort and security than have responsibility and freedom. And they and they and they uh, um, uh, uh, delegate the responsibility to, to the right. people who, who make decisions. It's it's hard work to maintain a free market system. It's hard yeah. work to to keep uh, to to have smart but limited guardrails. That's that's a lot of hard work, and so and it also and what involves. What I'm saying, Dave, is, is it's hard work. Also, if you want to have the socialism, yes, it's hard work to make sure it doesn't get abused by the handful of people in charge. So my my argument just yeah. now was, if you want to have socialism, then you better have great discussion about how we will know that we're not being corrupted or abused or stolen from by the handful. That's and the same applies for the capitalism. Like, yeah, there, I think that we, the reason these things don't work either one is, is they, they turn into abuse because we get lazy and the policy lawmakers get lazy and the bureaucrats have all the power. Yeah. And the, the opportunists, when they get the power 
are going to use it. So in the, yeah. absolutely right. What, whenever you centralize power, and this goes back to another episode we did, whenever you centralize power in the hands of a few, the natural, normal, you know, genetic human tendency is to take advantage of that power to some extent for your own personal benefit at the expense. Right. And, and that is obviously then at the expense of, of the masses. And so the yeah. idea that you can have centralized uh, committees and, and subcommittees and all of this stuff, and you can maintain as free and open and just and fair society as you can when society in, in some ways takes care of itself. Doesn't, you know, it's not, you know, left to the, it's not anarchy. It's not taking care of itself that, that far. But when yeah. society says we no longer value this, so we're no longer buying this. Um, and therefore the people that sell this are no longer going to be able to sell this. We, the, when you, when you take that away, when you take that power away from people and centralize it with some other people, they are naturally going to be tempted to abuse that. And we, yeah. and history is just full of that over and over and over. That's, that's the beauty of the free market is it's more self-regulating. It, it keeps evil in check. Well, it, in my opinion, socialism um, works with human nature in a, in a negative way, and, and the free markets work with human nature in a positive way. And here's what I mean by that. We are selfish creatures. There's no right. getting around that. We are right. hardwired to look out for me, number one, first, yep. and then maybe my spouse and my children. And, like, it, it, the, then things fall off pretty quickly after that. Right. <laughs> and my neighbors and my town and my state. and my. But by the time you get to the country, like it's, it's barely we a thought. <laughs> we are selfish creatures. Mm -hmm. So when you have people put in charge who get to make regulation, it's inevitable without tremendous oversight from people, the populace, I would imagine, um, without tremendous oversight, they're going to subconsciously and consciously, right or wrong, fair or not fair, this is how we're wired, they're going to do things in their best interest. Where right. in the free markets, their best interest is to make the customer happy by providing a superior product for, for a lower price. Exactly. Because if they don't, the guy next to him will. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and this is where some of the the um, arguments against what we call capitalism today uh, are that, well, it doesn't work very well because there's centralized power in big corporations or centralized power in other places. And, and my response to that is that there's a difference between the free market and crony capitalism. So I think it's important to, yeah. to, to you know, recognize that, that there is yeah. such a thing as, as, uh, as people that accumulate a great amount of power and wealth and use that to shut out other people. And, you know, you can see this even in, in, in corporations that are predatorily buying, uh, other corporations just to keep their product from coming out so you can provide an inferior product for a superior yeah. price for a long period yeah. of time. So there, so, and this is where the, the regulatory, there, there is a valid regulatory function that, that, can be vested in government to prevent the free market from being abused, for, to prevent it from being uh, overwhelmed by by those that have concentrated power in themselves or at the government. Yeah, I, I I agree. And one of the things that I've seen in my lifetime, and certainly I imagine you have in yours, is is back when our constitution was written, countries were the most powerful entities or organizations or whatever on the planet. Right. I don't think that's true anymore. No. I think that corporations in many cases are more powerful than governments. Right. And so 
it leaves it leaves me to wonder is and I and I honestly don't have an answer for this because I've not spent a lot of time thinking this through, but it leaves me to wonder is that because this is capitalism's inevitable end where where people do so well. It's like the the, the story like the the first generation starts a business, the second generation builds a business, and the third generation destroys a business. Right, right. right. That's, that's a common theme if if you've had a business that's been passed on through generations. It's a common. It, meaning it really happens, and it's also a common like story that's told, like in hy- right. hypothetical. Is is that is that the this are what we seeing the version of of free markets that inevitably when you do so well, you are so smart with how you take advantage of situations, and I don't mean like abusively, but like right. you see opportunities and you seize them, and the companies become so big and powerful sure. because they made really good choices, and they provided great products, but by the third generation or whatever, seventh generation, twelfth generation, whatever. That that initial spirit of servitude is gone, right. and now we just have the power. It, it, or is this is this what we're seeing, where the, these corporations are having such amounts of power and control and success because the regulatory uh, has benefited people who are they are friends with, who happen to run their own piece of these companies, and the regulators are making decisions that are giving these companies more power. Which do you think it is, or is it just all that stuff? It, yes, it's both. yes, and like yeah. I, I think it's both. I think so. On, on one hand, I think there is a legitimate government role, for instance, to to regulate monopolies because a monopoly, yeah. you know, the 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 Sherman Antitrust Act. I'm I'm not, you know, I there there is uh, a a valid government role in saying if you've accumulated too much power for whatever reason, too much market authority, you can use that to crush the market. And that's a bad thing. So that's where, yeah. again, I'm not in favor of, of completely unregulated capitalism. Secondarily, however, um, it, it's absolutely also true, the, uh, what they call regulatory capture. The, the idea that if I've got enough money and enough lobbyists and I can promise you a career after you leave whatever federal department you're in, I can promise you a career at, at, a, at a, a, a low, low seven figures or a high six figures working for my firm, if you'll just favor me with regulation now so that I can sell right. more stuff, that's, that's crony capitalism. That's, and yeah. that is, again, something that, from my perspective, is a violation of, it's a perversion of the market. It's a perversion of the free market. And it's, it's bad for so, so how competition. Do that, Dave? How do we stop that? Well, so two things. One of them is if the if the administrative state does not have overwhelming power as it has today, then there's going to be less less of that happening. Because if if you concentrate power someplace, then those that want that power are going to go there and spend lot, lots of money and lots of effort and lots of attention to get that. If it's a small nut, in other, if it's a small uh, prize, if the administrative state doesn't have that much power, it's got the power to regulate monopolies, to make sure that that doesn't, doesn't get out of, out of control. And, but that's about it. And there's, and there's, you know, there's certain other regulatory functions that are performed. But if the, if the, if the, the prize is very small, then in that case, you're not going to have the, the temptation. They're not going to have the, the people going and spending all their money to capture that because there's, they can't gain control that way. So yeah. because we vested so much power over here, then, and it's the same thing with politics. We've vested so much power. You got to have a billion dollars in this age. Hopefully by Kenny G's time, it's, it's not. So completely crazy, but you've got to have a billion dollars to run a presidential campaign or some ridiculous amount of money yeah. like that. You know, that, that is a, 
again, a perversion. You've invested so much in the, in the crown, if you will, that it, there's no way to get away from it being a perverting of the market. Yeah. I, I think that there's, there's so many levels of inter entwinement with this between policymakers, bureaucrats, administrators, lobbyists, big firms. Uh, It's just, there's, I don't, I don't know that I I don't know that I would ever really be able to comprehend it. And what I'm about to say is going to sound like a shock. will probably sound like a shock to people who, when they find out that my primary job right now is helping people big build businesses that, that, are saleable assets. Like I, I'm a huge fan of, of building a company. That's, that's what sure. I help people do for yeah. a living. And I think there's got to be a point in which corporations are not allowed to have a voice in politics. Right. And I don't know how to even quantify that. I don't even know what the mechanics would look like, but, but to me, the, the, the abuse is, is not just in the size of the company and the amount of influence it has over the industry, but the size of the company and the amount of influence it has over how a country or countries plural sure. are operated. Sure. And and they do that by having hundreds of millions of dollars in some cases, or just tens or just millions of dollars of people in front of politicians every day, every day, every day, right. every week, dinners and gifts and like all, all and there's gifts that are legal and there's gifts that are not. I, I get right. all that stuff, but, but the, the small companies don't have a chance to, Compete, right. and I do think that's an area where it's not just a monopoly in that you have over fifty percent of the market share as a as a technical definition of a monopoly, but it's a monopoly in how countries are run, and that sure. feels like a massive problem that has got to be solved, and and will one way or the other. I, I there's no way we're going to get around it. Well, you remember. Um... Eisenhower's uh, departing speech. Well, you don't remember yeah. it. You and I are too young for yeah. that. But, yeah, uh, but you Eisenhower- might remember it, but I don't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm back at you, brother. <laughs> so his departing speech, he, he warned about, and this has been overused and, and used too many times yeah. in different places, but, it, but it's, there's still some validity here. This idea of the military-industrial complex, the idea that, right. that there is so much money being spent in military that then they, and, and I am a staunch supporter of national defense. I'm a staunch supporter of- sure. Of military spending because the first reason the governments exist in the first place is to protect us from bad guys who want to invade. Um, yep. But but still, when you have so much money in that space that that those people can then control or not control necessarily, but influence heavily what goes on in political decision making, then you you have uh, again crony capitalism. So, you yeah. know, how can you, how can you deal with that? Well, one of the things that there's, there's been proposals to say that those that are in decision-making roles when they retire from government have some moratorium before they can go to work for anybody that they regulated 10 years, yeah. 20, 10 years. So yeah. that seems to me to be a reasonable regulatory place to be. Um, right. you, you can, in, you, you know, that the, the, that that whole system uh, is it's going to be hard to get that to happen because nobody wants to, to kill their cash cow. You go from right. being the, Dave, the, are you insinuating that people are counting on this as part of the retirement? Is that, is that, well, is that what you're insinuating? <laughs> you know, here's uh, not about current events, but here's one of the things that I heard somebody say recently. And that is there's nothing wrong with having money, uh, becoming rich and getting into politics. There is something wrong with getting into yeah. politics to become rich. Yeah. I, 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 th- and, and I would, I agree with that hundred percent. The, uh, you know, in current times, 
you you can watch there's a there's a, a again not getting current events but in this case it's you know, there's a Nancy Pelosi um trading stock trading website that tracks her stocks because she's done a remarkable job of getting rich in in you know a couple of decades <laughs> right. and she's not the only one there's there's many there's many examples right. of people who come in and they make one hundred twenty seven thousand dollars a year one hundred forty eight thousand or one seventy eight or whatever the number is now per year but over the course of fifteen years they amass multiple tens of millions of dollars millions of dollars in, in yeah wealth. exactly <laughs> exactly yeah how did how did that happen no and and that's yeah. i think that's where that happens and then even on a one level down from that this idea that you can work in the administrative state and yeah. then move from the administrative state over to private industry doing the right. same thing and now you've got all the connections in yeah. from the people and who are spending you know the millions of dollars and you know the the laws that were written that left little little variances here and little loopholes there that yeah. wouldn't be privy to. Yeah, and, and those well, things, of you course, know, for the company are valuable. And, you know, it, it's it's easy enough to exploit these things. I'll, I'll give a practical example from my own experience. In a, a lot of my career I spent in selling to uh, education, to K-12 and higher yeah. education. And most of the bids that, that we were successful in winning uh, in, in – and I won't – talk about the major company that I worked for. Uh, yeah. We helped write those bids. Yeah. Now we did a good job. I think we did a good job of selling them on the benefits of our product, but when the bids get written, then, and people will say, well, there, there's bid laws to protect against crony capitalism. No, there's not bid, bid laws. Don't protect against no. crony capitalism. That's not the way it works. So you have no. to have a system in which there, there is the free competition of products and ideas and services, et cetera. But you also have to have uh, one where you are preventing the, the uh, uh, abuse of power. And the other way you do that, frankly, is you defund the government. To a great extent, if you have a yeah. small, well, uh, not w very well funded government, then the then the money that's going to change hands is not going to be significant enough to. And this is it gets back to human nature, right? What, what you said earlier, yeah. people are essentially we're essentially selfish. I mean, even when we have the best of intentions, there's a part of us that's like, well, I can take advantage of the situation to make money. That's sure. just human well, nature. You had to because uh, if you weren't, you were eaten by the saber tooth lion. That's how it Survi works. Yeah, the survival of the fittest, the social Darwinism. Yeah. If you want to call it that. That's that's yeah. exactly right. So I think we have to we have to have a system where where it maximizes the freedom of people and the freedom of of products and services and companies to introduce new things in the market. We we got to have we got to get rid of too big to fail. That's a problem. There's nobody's too big to yeah. fail. You know, no, that's well, they shouldn't be. Well, they shouldn't be. Yeah, they shouldn't be. Yeah. Uh, and then we have to defund, keep the government small enough. That is, by definition, then a freer market than we have today. But yeah. hopefully, Kenny G will have that in the future. Yeah, one of the things, uh, switching gears a little bit and talking about the the wealth distribution angle, one of the things that um, I've noticed, which, again, hopefully will be fixed by the time Kenny G hears this, but I imagine by then they'll be having their own version of these kinds of problems. Oh, yeah. Which And, and that is that that... The idea is that we're going to take from the wealthy people and give to the poor people. That's the right. idea. Um, however, it's not – there's there's no agreement on what that means and what success looks like there. There's no monitoring in a way that I can tell is fair and uh, transparent in which – or like you know, where things are – Data, I mean, data is published. Like the government puts out billions of pages of data all every month, probably or year for sure. I mean, there's there's tons of data, but it doesn't feel like it. 
it talks about like the, the net impact. So for example, one of the things I see now is we, we say we're going to take from the rich and give it to the poor. And we, we kind of sort of do that through who pays what percentage of taxes and things like that. But ultimately wall street keeps getting richer. <laughs> yes. So yeah. the net result of what we're doing is wall street ends up with the money and, and the people um, who we say we're going to be taxing the crap out of still end up amassing more. And the poor people we say we're going to be helping still end up with less and if you look at the the CEO salaries, the multiplier from the frontline factory workers, it used to be something like, I don't know, it was like 17x and now it's like right. 157x or right. what? Like at some point we have I don't understand, help me understand Dave, what why do we stick to these ideals and say we're going to do more of this thing that has fundamentally proven itself to not be what we say we're doing? Is it is it absolutely just corruption or are we are we just so overcome with altruism and laziness that we just end up with what we end up with. What do you, what do you think? I think it's selfishness and laziness. One, we can craft a system that sounds good on the evening news uh, at the same time that we can secure power for ourselves. So I think that's, that's sort of the cynical view of all of that. And that's what we've done with, you know, the, the, the tech. So uh, here's a practical example of that. There was in the time, I think it was in the fifties, there was a 90% federal income tax bracket. So people, oh, yeah. uh, we're, I think we're it was gonna, in the 30s, but somewhere back there. It, uh, yeah, it was, I know it was a while back. Yeah. It was, yeah, 30, yeah. 40, so, so, a long time ago. Um, so there was, there was this high tax bracket, but guess who paid it? Nobody paid it. So right. we create systems that sound good to, uh, to the masses. We're going to sock it to the rich. And yeah. then essentially nobody pays it. On the flip side right. of that, if we decided that we were going and, – and this is part of the problem when you design a system based on envy and greed. And, and you know, uh, I, I'm envious of the guy who's rich and therefore I'm going to design a system to punish him. You know, that's, yeah. that is a, a fundamentally flawed system to begin with as opposed to saying we're going to design a system where everybody pays their fair share and whatever their fair share is – about twenty percent, ten percent, thirty percent. You pick whatever your fair, sh- whatever the fair share is. And that's a, I guess that's probably another episode to talk about that. Yeah, um, yeah, the fair tax and such. But if if we design a system that is is fundamentally not designed around greed and envy, the the two twins on the on either side of that, then we're more likely to have something that actually helps people. And the other part of that that whole. Uh, equation essentially is designing a system whereby everybody's got some skin in the game. The problem, so a lot of discussion in in our day and age about universal basic income, right? This idea that right. because you exist, you get a certain amount of money. On on the surface of it, it's like, wow, that's kind of cool. Everybody gets a twelve hundred dollar a month check, but in yeah. the, at the end of the day, what does that do? One, what does that do to a person's psyche? Yeah. What does that do to the productivity of the person and their community and the country? Uh, and is it sustainable? And is it inflationary? All of those things, uh, a good idea, and this is to back to your question, good ideas oftentimes fail because they're one inch thick and, but not deep at all. And that's where, yeah. that's where these, that's where I think that's where these systems have a problem. Yeah, I think for somebody listening in the year 2080, they would not have the context of knowing that we just endured, and I mean endured, uh, 15-ish years of discuss about raising the minimum wage to you know $15 an hour was the battle cry for a decade right. or something like that. And <laughs> I remember uh, for context, 
I have written a law. I've written a significant amount of a law. So I understand the process of how a bill becomes a law and the lobbying and the lawmaker at uh, state level, not federal. So, but I remember having a discussion with somebody who, who, who mattered and they were telling me how this $15 an hour thing needed to be a thing. And we were going to raise it from, I think, $11 an hour to $15 an hour in the state I lived in. Um, and I remember having this conversation with this person and saying, it doesn't matter if you make the minimum wage $50 an hour, like right. five zero. It doesn't matter. We as a society at this moment in time have decided that landscapers are going to make considerably less money than neurosurgeons. Right. We've decided that. It doesn't matter what you make the ceiling. The multiplier is going to be the same. Right. If you make it $100 an hour for minimum wage for a landscaper, the neurosurgeon is still going to make 143 times that. Like, right. It doesn't matter what the minimum wage is. It, 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 so that's where the idea, like the, 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 the flaw of the, we're going to have this free society, a free system, but we're going to also kick money to the, to the poor. Like that's, that's, these ideas are the kind of things that are flawed, I think. Well, that, that's flawed. And the other thing that's flawed about the whole idea of redistributionism is this idea that if you tell somebody that, uh, that, the more money you make uh, over a certain amount, we're just going to take it from you. Well, okay, yeah. then I'm not going to bother making any more money after a certain point because you're just right. going to take it from me anyway. So the the people that you're giving it to aren't going to have as much money anyway. So it's really self-defeating and you, you end up deflating the entire economic productivity of the entire country, of the entire system as a result of that. That happens in all of these yeah. one inch thick, uh, you know, no depth to them kinds of responses. Yeah. What What have you like? What's it felt like for you over the last 20 years is this as we've kind of migrated away from what it was, you know, in 2002, 2007 to kind of the argument now where it feels like we're we're unhappy with people who do well, successful but we're not unhappy with the people who are clearly abusing things like these big time CEOs who, ha who are in charge of these massive companies that are literally more powerful than maybe all countries in some right. cases. Like there could be a couple of companies that I would say may be more powerful than every, not combined, but any one country. We don't seem to be angry with them on the, like on the street level. We, we kind of know that it's not fair. We are angry with the people. It feels like to me who, are closer to us in our community who've done well, who clearly have not abused people in the same right. way. You, am I off track there? Do you think, or you think that's, that's close? Well, no, I think it's true. And I think it's also, there's sort of a, there's sort of a dichotomy that goes on there because on one side, uh, you know, we're, we're unhappy with the people that are the super wealthy. And on the other side, we spend all of our time, looking at what they're doing on their yachts and looking at, at, you know, what their vacations are and all yeah. of, you know, the celebrity worship of, of all these people. I mean, you know, people get married and divorced every day across the country, but we pay attention to who, who has a lot of money and does this. And we also don't stop using their products either. <laughs> we still, love, right. we still love all the things they produce. Uh, but so, so there's sort of a, there's sort of a, uh, uh, a period dysfunction there, if you will, uh, that yeah. uh, we, we have both of those things going on simultaneously. Yeah. I, I kind of, it reminds me of a story by uh, Yakov Smirnov, who was a comedian in the eighties for those who don't know. And he migrated uh, or immigrated here from, from Russia, USSR back then. But the story was um, 
you know, the, the, the town, whoever the bureaucrat was in charge of the town said, Hey, we're, we're having a meeting. We're explaining what the new, the policy is. Um, if you have two houses, the new law is that you have to share one of the houses with the community and everybody said, Oh yeah, that's, that's great. Of course, no problem. And if you have two cars, then the, the rule is you have to share the second car with the community. Oh yeah, yeah, no problem. And if you have two chickens, you have to share the second chicken with the community and everybody, Whoa, 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 stop, stop, stop. <laughs> and the reason they were mad is because they had two chickens. Right, they did not exactly. have two cars. They exactly. did not have two houses, and but they were. And, and the way he sells it, of course, is a hundred times better than I would tell it. But it kind of feels like that with this, where the the ultra wealthy billionaires are in a different league, in a different planet. We don't. We 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 see, like you said, we see their yachts and things like that. But it's so unattainable for the average. Right. They don't care. But the but the person that that lives four miles from them who has a house worth four or five times as much as theirs, that feels more in the realm of of reach and and maybe more obtainable to to get a piece of that <laughs> maybe it uh, it just feels like the 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 anger in this moment is misplaced by by people who are in some cases truly suffering and other right. cases just envious well and see you, see okay you just hit the word that's the word the question is envy so can you advance a society based on envy and I say the answer is no. You can advance a society and you can help people to do better based on compassion and aspiration. So if you think about it, if you, you know, the, to, to go way, way back, Jesus said, you're always going to have the poor with you. This is, you know, poverty. Right. And he wasn't saying poverty is good, but he said, look, hey, yeah. there's, there's always going to be poverty because this yeah. is part of the human condition. And, right. you know, and what do you do about that? You, what you do about that is you, you treat it with compassion. You help the poor. You do what you can to help the poor. And now that is also a, that is also a demand of the individual more than it is a demand of any centralized authority, right? It's, it's, you know, each of us are responsible to be compassionate people under, under whatever system of, you know, faith or non-faith you're, that people have. We're responsible yeah. to be compassionate to other people. And that's how you really deal with, with a lot of them. Um, at the same time, it's, it's much easier for us to say we want to use the force and power of government to get back at people who have more than we do because we don't like the fact we, – we don't like what it says about us. We don't like the fact that, that we didn't get the breaks that somebody else got or – you know, and, and there's a certain amount – sure, success involves a certain amount of luck if you want to put it that way. Yeah. You know, people born at the right time get the – you know, I, I don't think in, in our current society it's so much what you inherit. Not that many people inherit wealth. Most wealth these days is created by building a business or, you know, doing things that, that in your career that make sense. Uh, but, right. but people, if they're if they're focused on who they're envious of, they're going to be more apt to be mad and more apt to say, I want somebody to force them to give me something because it's not fair. You know, it's back to the toddler's yeah. tantrum. Uh, my brother has more in his glass than I have in mine. It's not fair. Yeah. That's where, that's I, I where it comes that, from. I think that we can work with the envy thing if we show people the path to scratching that itch is by serving others, which, again, yes. free market is supposed to do yes. in theory. The way you get, uh, you know, George Carlin had a whole pit on this also in the 80s and 90s. Like the way you get the thing that your neighbor uh, has that you want so badly is by developing a better thing and and right. making the client choose your thing over somebody else's. Exactly and, right. But we don't choose, we don't teach that certainly not in schools right. and, and maybe not even in college. I don't, I've never been in college, so I wouldn't know, I guess, but um, maybe not even in college so much anymore. Do we teach the mechanics of how to build a better thing 
and and build it for a lower price to make it attractive to buy our thing. Like we spend less time on that. Right. And we do spend more time on the what's the fair and equitable outcome. Um, I think we could work with Envy if we if we have the mechanics in place to incentivize the right behavior. Right. Right. Well, yeah, that, and that's exactly it. If we could if we could say that the response to wanting what your neighbor has is not to get the government to force him to give some of it to you. But if we say the response to that is, well, why don't you get up an extra hour early in the morning and get a side hustle going and, you know, make, so that is the proper response. Yeah, The guy who has the house worth five times as much as yours owns a business selling garage doors. Okay. Well, what can you sell that's as good or better than what he's doing? Like exactly. exactly. This is on you, not, not, not him to give it. It's for you to earn it, which goes back to our, our personal development thing. One other thing I want to just, um, cause we, we've talked about that. I want to spend too much time on that, but um, one other thing I want to talk about real quick before we run out of time is on the, the wealth distribution redistribution thing is for people who are in a different taxing system. One of the things that, that drives me bonkers right now with how taxes are done is those, the business owner, you, you can have a business owner who's making a hundred thousand dollars a year in, in income that business owner has to write checks quarterly, most often mm-hmm. personal checks from their personal checking account to pay their tax. Right. Right. You could have an IT employee who's making $300,000 a year, much more than the business owner, but that tax is automatically withheld from their paycheck. It's out of sight, out of mind. Clever. And the, that develops <laughs> an entirely different relationship with the tax. Exactly. Regardless of how much dollars it is, the percentage of income feels dramatically different because of the relationship with the thing. Just like the 401k that we have now, the retirement savings are taken out. And the whole selling point is it's out of sight, out of mind. You exactly. never see it. You never miss it. Same thing happens with the tax, except for the business owners. They could make less money and pay less tax, but they feel a much stronger um level of concern, I guess you'll say maybe instead sure. of resentment or frustration um, for the tax because of the mechanics of how we do it. Why do we do this? Why do we do this for, why do we set this system up to make it that disparate impact on how we pay taxes and the relationship we have with it? Because otherwise we wouldn't get any, we get half the tax revenue we already get. I mean, really bottom line, right? I mean, so the, yeah. cause you, you just identified it, right? The, the, this idea that, um, a lot of people, they look forward to April 15th. That's when we, in this age, get, you know, pay our taxes yeah. because the government sends them money. The government never sends yeah. you any money. We you get, get a refund. Woo! <laughs> yeah, I get my own money back that I loaned the government yeah. for a year at no interest. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, the, the, really the bottom, that's why I say it's, it's a clever, clever, uh, the, the, um, the, uh, uh, part of me that is, well, it's not conspiratorial, but it's, no. it's this idea that if the government was made us write checks every month for the amount of taxes we owed or every quarter for the taxes that yeah. we owed and we had to send it in, there would be less money concentrated in the centers of, in the government halls of power because people would say, I am paying a lot of money out of my hard earned, yeah. hard earned money. It's really, it's really people. We have a sense of the amount of work that we do and how hard the work is that we do. Yeah. Uh, we don't have a sense of how hard it is that anybody else works, especially the rich people. They might just sit around on their pillows collecting cash as it comes in the door, like Scrooge McDuck yeah. or something. Yeah, you know? of course. 
<laughs> so, but, but that's really why. I mean, because it's, it's a clever scheme to make it easier to not pay attention to the money that you're sending to government. It, it's, it's a, it goes back to one of the themes that we've talked about a couple times. I'm sure we're going to talk about many times is um, not feeling the pain of the consequences of our decisions right. is, in my opinion, what drives all this. I would, I would put if, if they made me the czar of the country because I could never get elected. That's there's no question about that. <laughs> if they someday made me the czar of the country, I think one of the first three things I would do is go back. To, I would eliminate tax withholding from paychecks. Yes, and I would go back to. People have to write the check every two weeks when they get paid or once a month or once a quarter or whatever. Right. We have to, in order to, to value what we're buying, we have to experience the, I don't want to say pain isn't the right word necessarily, but I guess kind of pain the is the right word. The pain, the investment. Thank you. Great word. The investment of buying the thing we want, no different than we do with the gas station. Right. No different than we do with our groceries. We see the deduction from our checking account. And if we're going to do for some people in the world where we're talking about disparate impacts and, and how we want the same equity for everybody, and why don't we develop the same relationship with taxes and there'd be a whole lot less bickering? It would be but honest. I'm going to go on the record, Dave, and say that I believe in the next 15 years, we're either going to go in a more socialistic direction or we are going to go back to people paying, writing checks for, or, you know, seeing had to right. go through the mechanics of paying the government the taxes rather than the withholdings because it was it came out like 1933 I think right um, and the guy who 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 developed it like within two years went on the record and say it was the worst thing he ever did terrible idea yeah because he sold this he, he it's almost a Ponzi scheme it's sort of like a Ponzi scheme but you know he, well, he he legitimately regretted it if I remember the yeah. story right like he he developed this idea we put it in place and immediately he he was like. Oh crap! What have I done? Pandora's box. Well, yeah, because it centralizes power in in the hands of of others, and it really it created this whole system that we're in. It, yeah. Well, and see, this is back to the word I used a minute ago: investment. If if we did what you're saying, and I think I, I hope that's the way it goes. If we did what you're saying, then we would be more apt to call our local politician or our national politician and say, "Look." I just, Mr. President, Miss Miss President, whatever. Uh, I just, in, I just sent you a check for seventy five dollars out of this paycheck. I want to yeah. know what my investment is buying me. You know yeah. that we would have, we would create accountability from our politicians. And if yeah. if, if the politician at that point said, back to our discussion of poverty, if if he said, well. We're going to send twenty five dollars of that to the to support people that. Are are unable to support themselves for true reasons, for for real reasons. We're going to send ten of it to protect the country. If if we had that kind of breakdown, my word, talk about an efficient system. Talk about an efficient society. At that point, we would accomplish more, and there would be more fairness and more equality across the board. Well, there would certainly be more accountability. And the other thing I would say with with this particular issue, and uh, I'm going to get the story wrong. I'm going to tell the best the best I can. A friend of mine had a conversation with uh, one of his children a couple years ago about um, this kind of redistribution of stuff. And and the, the child was making the point to my friend that what's the big deal if people get some money? It's the government's giving them money. <laughs> and my friend said, legitimate question, like not being snarky, not being, yeah. you know, at least the way he told the story, was not being rude or snarky or trying to belittle his child, like who he yeah. loves, presumably, right? said, so, where do you think, where does the government's money come from? And the kid had to think about it. Like yeah. it wasn't an automatic, like, of course the money comes from 
my dollars. It, it, it took a few minutes for that, that thought process to work itself through. And then an hour later, the child had a completely different perspective on right. how much money should be doled out to the people in whatever circumstance that they were talking about. Now, again, I'm not anti helping people out. Of course, there should be some kind of parachute for people who are in bad situations. Right. But, but to get for us to get to a point where, where people are not, are not even aware of where government money comes from. Right. I hope that this is something that we resolve soon because I, I don't, in a world where that gets worse instead of better, I don't see any kind of positive outcome. Well, it's going to get resolved because you can't, you can't create some uh, law of physics, right? It, I mean, you cannot create something from nothing. Nothing does not produce something. Right. Something produces something. So government, and that applies. Yeah. People don't realize that the economics have laws associated with them, just like anything else. You cannot create the uh, money is just a value. It's just, it's representation yeah. value and you can't create money from nothing at all for very long. You can do it for a short period of time. You can do it for a little while right. until people start realizing there's no value here. And then yeah. at that point, the whole system comes crashing down around you. So at, a, right. at some point that's going to happen. And I think that if, if the dollar is no longer the, the universal global currency Reserve for trade, currency, yeah. we will, we will be writing checks to the government, whether we like it or not. That's, Kenny that's it. You might be listening to this going, you spoiled little babies before the dollar, <laughs> before the, you know, now the dollar is not the central currency anymore. Um, you guys had no idea how you got it. You could, we couldn't live your lifestyle now because we don't have the luxury of just unlimited loans and living on all right. these, all this borrowed money and passing that debt off to our children. Thank you very much, yeah, Brian and Dave. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Kenny G might be not too happy with us because we can't, yeah. can't down the road far be, enough. Yeah, he's like, I get to pay all the bills. I get none of the benefit. Thanks, yeah. jerks. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, Kenny G will forgive us for that. Yeah. All right, Dave. I think we've covered this pretty well. Anything else you want to say uh, to wrap things up? Nope. I think we're on we're on the same page. All right. Well, don't forget. Uh, tell us. We want to know where we got it right, and wrong, and what I mean by that, or what we mean by that, is: Are we explaining adequately and accurately? what things feel like right now. I, we get that you're not going to agree with our politics and, and that's not the point of this. I know we, you need that to, to explain the conflict, but really what we want help with is explaining to folks in the future, what does this feel like? What has been the change over the last 10 or 15 or 20 years or your lifetime? Are we, are, are we adequately articulating um, and accurately articulating what this all feels like? And are we representing our current mood and vibe and, and levels of conflict adequately? If we're not getting that right, please jump in and tell us. And you do that at unsilentpodcast.com. And uh, until next time, this is Dave and Brian signing off. See you next week. Do you want to be unsilent? Make your voice heard on our social media channels and share where you think we got it right or wrong. Go to unsilentpodcast.com for social links so you can join the discussion. 